Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Hey, the stories we believe really matter. The stories that we believe, and all of us have some narratives or some stories that we may not be able to articulate, or we may not even understand, but the narrative of them actually uh, does something to us. It actually forces the way we live our life. The stories we believe are powerful and they're life-shaping. They shape the way that we see ourselves. The stories that we believe about ourselves and about community, about the world in which we live, shape the way we see ourselves. Our stories give us identity. Our stories are the things that manage our priorities, the things that we put first in life are often uh, evidenced by the underlying narratives that we believe. Our stories dictate our behaviours. They tell us where to put our time, where to put our talent, where to put our treasure. You see, stories really matter. There's some dominant stories in our culture that affect the way that many people live their lives. Let me give you a cup a couple of the dominant cultural narratives that exist in our day. Number one, my identity is defined by what I have. In other words, I am what I have. And there's many people that live this. They wouldn't want to articulate it because it sounds crazy when you put it like that. But when you look at the way they prioritize life, the way that they live life, everything is defined by the identity of what they have. They, they see that their value rises and falls at the same rate as their bank balance. And some of us live with this underlying narrative. It may not be the dominant story that we live by, but it might be a key story that we live by, where we think that life will be better if we get more stuff. We build a bigger house, we get a newer car, a newer phone, we're more connected, we have better things. You see, there's a dominant narrative in culture that says, I am what I have. It's the reason there's a lot of people that live this story as imposters. They go into debt beyond their capacity to service, but so that they can live a lifestyle that tells everybody else that they're someone. There's a dominant cultural story that says, I am what I have. There's another dominant cultural story that says this, the center of this universe is me. Some of you will remember this that are a little bit older. But there was an ad that used to roll around, I think it was selling life insurance, that just finished. The, the tagline at the end of the ad was this, the most important person in the world is you, or is me. In other words, we construct a reality around us that says the most important thing in this world is me. And we can live this story even if we don't have a great sense of who we are. Even if we don't think a lot of ourselves, we can still construct the world around ourselves that says the most important person in the world is me. You see, this story actually leads to rampant consumerism. Because consumerism says, I'm going to engage in something, or I'm going to buy something, or I'm going to go somewhere, as long as it feels good and it works for me. Now, consumerism's one thing when it comes to coffee. But we actually let consumerism creep into other things of greater importance, such as relationships. How many of us have walked away from a relationship because it got too hard and the person started to become needy and we don't want to give, we would just rather receive. And so we went and found some more people that made us feel better about ourselves 
Because the center of the universe is me. We consume our relationships. You know, in the world of, of the, the central universe of me, commitment is a fleeting thing. Some of us would say we're committed, but commitment is only really a thing while ever the thing that we're committed to is actually suiting and addressing my needs. It's the reason why the older generation bemoan the loss of the RSVP, but the younger generation say, I don't want to RSVP too early because what if a better offer comes up? Because the center of the universe is actually about my needs, my sense of being in control, my sense of everything working out the way I need it too. Some of us live, even though we don't articulate it, with a dominant story of the most important person in the world is me. And loyalty becomes a fleeting thing in that narrative because as long as it suits, I'm loyal. But as, long, as soon as the Broncos are on the bottom of the NRL ladder, I might go join Andrew in celebrating the Parramatta Eels as the greatest football team there is. We can live with the narrative that the most important person in the world is me. That was just for you, Pete. Some of us live with a narrative, and some of you younger guys want you to listen to this because you wouldn't articulate this as the narrative that drives your life, but it's a narrative that's predominant in our culture today. And it's this, that my worth and my value is measured in likes, view, followers, and friends. My worth is measured in the likes, the views, the followers, and the friends that I have. You know, we're constantly measuring ourselves by how others interact with us online. Yeah, we live in a world where people are more connected than they've ever been before, but levels of social anxiety are through the roof. And the world of actually being perceived through our social networks leads to greater social anxiety and competition in relationships because not only do we want to be seen as being popular and successful, we do that by comparing ourselves to the popularity and success of those around us. We have a generation growing up that have hundreds, if not thousands, of connections, yet they're connected and lonely. Loneliness is at pandemic proportions in our world today. We are growing up with a generation that is seen, but is not known. We're living with a generation that knows how to interact through a computer screen, but doesn't know how to interact in person. There's studies that show levels of intimacy are dropping in significant numbers, even though the cultural narrative says that everyone can just live the life they want. But intimacy and sexual encounter and engagement is dropping in record proportions because people don't know how to interact and build relationship in person. See, there's a dominant narrative in our world that says my worth is measured in likes, views, followers, and friends. And these are some of the dominant stories that dictate our behavior, our priorities, our sense of identity, and our sense of self-worth. And many people give their lives to these stories. And so over the next term, we're going to be talking about a better story. We're going to look at some of the cultural narratives, and then we're going to look at the biblical narrative, because we are invited into a better story. And so today I want to take us back to the very foundational story of the scriptures. Because foundations really matter. Where we come from and what we believe of ourselves can radically transform the way we do just about every aspect of life. 
Here, some of us find a sense of understanding of our story by looking into our own family story. Uh, just a week or two ago, my grandfather, who's no longer with us, would have turned 100. And we had a little bit of moment of reflecting. My mum's dad, my pop, he's the one that gave me the great love of the Parramatta Hills. But there's a few other things I see in his background that make sense of who I am today. He was a very kind man. I hope to think of myself as a kind person. But he was also a bit of a larrikin. Now, a few people here have accused me of being that. And when I look into my past story, I see some of the reason for that. I mean, he and his brothers used to run illegal bookmaking totes out of the front window of their house in Wellington, New South Wales. And one of the brothers would sit on the front corner waiting to see when the police would arrive so that they could shut it down. But everyone in the community know that that's where you go to get a good price at odds on the horse racing in country New South Wales. He was a larrikin, a really lovable larrikin. And I see some sense in my own story. I do not run illegal totes out of the front <laughs> of my house. <laughs> but then I look at my dad's mum. I, I never knew my grandfather. He passed away when dad was young, before I was born. But my grandmother, she was an incredibly generous person, but she was also incredibly faithful. Like the commitment to being part of a worshipping community every Sunday was the greatest priority of her life. And I see the way that that has affected and been a positive influence on my own story and my own family. You see, our foundations matter because foundations give us a sense of meaning and understanding to our own stories. And so the story I want to look at today is the foundational story of Scripture. We're going back to the very first chapter, Genesis chapter 1, because what we know and believe about foundations will transform how we live in this moment. But before I jump to the biblical account, I want to take you to another creation narrative that was found around the time that the biblical account was recorded, was written. We believe that the Bible is God-inspired, therefore that those that wrote the words actually were just inspired by the Spirit of God to record the way in which God revealed himself in history. But at the time that the early chapters of Genesis were written, there were other cultures that had their own stories of creation. And as we study those stories, we can see the reason the cultures formed the way that they did, because foundational belief and foundational stories really matter. Many of the creation epics of other ancient cultures were written like Hollywood fantasy films. One was from Babylon. It was discovered a couple of hundred years ago in uh, Mosul in modern-day Iraq. You might have heard of Mosul. It's been a fairly devastating place in recent years. In Mosul in modern-day Iraq, they found seven stone tablets that recorded the Babylonian creation epic from around the time of the biblical record. And the Babylonian creation epic was called the Enuma Elish. And I'm going to just confound you with some of its contents for a minute. I don't expect you to stick with me, but that's part of the point. This is the best English translation I can give you of what the story of the Babylonian creation epic says. You see, in the beginning, the Babylonian creation epic told a story of chaos, of swirling water where two gods emerged, Apsu and Tiamat. And through Apsu and Tiamat, the younger gods were given birth to, but these young gods were extremely loud and were troubling the sleep of Apsu. Who knows what that's like? So the younger gods were keeping Apsu up at night and distracting him from his work in the day. And so he took on some bad advice and did the thing that we shouldn't do when we're kept up at night and decided to take them out 
But one of them was warned, and so he then goes and kills Apsu. Now, Tiamat, one of the originals, was really upset that they'd killed her partner, Apsu, and so summons chaos, creating 11 monsters to kill the young gods, her children. And in the struggle, another god, Marduk, appears, who ultimately wins, splitting Tiamat's body in two and creating the heavens and the earth from it. Did I tell you you'd be confounded by this? After the gods had finished praising him for the great victory in the art of creation, Marduk consults with the god E, who decides to create human beings from the remains of Quingu, another god who was the one that instigated the war with Tiamat. And this is what it says in the text. Quingu is the one who instigated warfare, who made Tiamat rebel and set battle in motion. They bound him, holding him before Ea. They inflicted the penalty on him and severed his blood vessels. From his blood, Ea created mankind, on whom he imposed the service of the gods and set the gods free. Well, I hope you're confounded by that. Let me just sum it up, what the dominant story in the Babylonian creation epic was. The dominant story was that the earth was born and founded in the midst of chaos. That the earth was created out of struggle and violence and warfare. That humankind came about as an afterthought, and not just an afterthought, but an afterthought that was designed to be in the service of the gods. The gods were not intimately involved or interested in humanity. In this chaos, there was a multitude of gods that constantly lived in war and violence. You see, this was the foundational story of the the Babylonian Empire that then changed the way that they lived life. Because when the world is born like that, it has little purpose or intent. Gods aren't there to be worshipped except to appease them or to manipulate them to your own purposes. And there was no greater reason for life than doing whatever it was to make your life better. You see, the foundational stories that we have dictate the way that we live life. And so with this story in the background, this story would have been known to the first readers of Genesis. God tells a story that gives a completely different account. Let me read it to you, probably for many of us for the hundredth time, for many of us, maybe the first. But this is what the Bible says. In the beginning, God, not gods, not multitudes of gods, not gods and kids and monsters. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And on the second day, he said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And God called the vault sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it goes on and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And then let the waters teem with living creatures and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day, and let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day, fifth day. And then God says, let us make humans in our image, in our likeness, 
so they may rule over fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and over all the wild creatures and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And so it was. And God saw all that he has made and it was very good. And there was more evening and there was morning the sixth day. There's some clues in the text about what the Bible wants to tell us about our foundations. You know, there's, I don't think there's an accident, there is no accident, that we get this beautiful piece of Hebrew poetry that tells us the story of creation. There's rhythm in it. Day one, there was evening, there was morning. Day two, there was evening, there was morning. This beautiful poetic rhythm from the very beginning, God wants to say this, the earth wasn't formed out of chaos. There was order and intent. More than that, the, the, the earth wasn't formed as the, the result of chaos and war and violence between multiple gods. The earth was formed by the intentional word of the one true living God. Humanity wasn't created as an afterthought. It wasn't created as the moment where the gods thought, we need somebody to come and serve us. No, no, humanity was created as the very pinnacle of God's creative energies. We, we can put all the information in the world into a device like this, yet nobody has been able to form humanity the way God, through his word, formed humanity. You see, the creation story tells a better story. It tells us that you are born and formed with intent, not out of cosmic struggle. It tells us that creation was found in order, not chaos. Creation story tells us that there was one God that authored creation over many gods warring. It tells us that there is one God that is intimately interested in humanity over many gods who are self-focused. And it tells the story of one God creating you as an image bearer, not as just someone to serve him. You know, the story of creation, the foundational story in the Christian scriptures tells us some really important messages that God wants us to hear from the very beginning, and it's this, you have value. You have value. Creation wasn't an accident, and your creation wasn't an accident. God actually put the best of his creative abilities into you, and you are an image bearer of the almighty God. We live in a world where many of us walk around feeling like we have no sense of value. God, from the very beginning, wants to tell you, that you are more valuable than anything else in this world and that he created you with great intent. See, the creation narrative wants to tell us that we have purpose, that God created with purpose, that his word that was spoken with intent formed that all that we see, we know, and we experience and then formed you as the pinnacle creation moment. And he's designed you with purpose. And it's not a purpose just to live life trying to suck every moment out of it. It's a purpose that is much grander than that. It's to be part of his eternal family. 
The creation story tells us that you have a place. The creation story tells us that life has meaning and intent. What a powerful story. I think we've let the creation story get lost in arguments over things that don't matter as much as the story that God wants to tell you that you have value, intent, purpose, and meaning. You see, the Bible invites us to embrace a story that gives life greater meaning and value that can be found anywhere else. It's a better story than the one that many choose to use today as their foundation. Because without a foundational story that gives life meaning and purpose, we're left to our own devices to try and find and invent meaning. Pastor and social commentator Mark Sayers says this, in the absence of a story or foundation that gives hope or meaning, life has become a never-ending quest for pleasure and experience. Instead of being good, people want to feel good. And so in our world, two dominant stories have emerged because people don't have a foundational story that speaks life, value, meaning, and purpose into them. And one of those is the pursuit of happiness. Because without meaning and purpose, the best I can hope for in life is to be happy, right? You see, the creation story wants to tell you that you are part of something much bigger than just this moment, that you're part of a bigger purpose, a bigger plan, a bigger story, and one that doesn't have a use-by date. And it's a story that finds new life in the death and then the resurrection of Christ that says, this life is not the end of your story. Your purpose is grander than that. But if you don't believe in that, and all you believe in is life that is bounded by the years that you have on this earth, the most that you can hope for and the most that you can pursue is a life of happiness, right? And so the life or the pursuit of happiness is also the pursuit of pleasure and the pursuit of pleasure without boundary. You know, we live in a culture that says this, everything is permissible as long as nobody gets hurt, right? Well, I think if you read the news now, you see that that tagline isn't working because people have been living the pleasures that they desire, but now people are coming out years later saying, that didn't work for me. And we're now in this, in this crisis where people go, well, I want the freedom to exert everything the way that I want to exert it and live life with the freedom that I want to live it with, yet I'm now finding out that maybe some of the freedoms that I took for granted are actually hurting people more than I'd given credit to. So some of us live with the pursuit of happiness. But happiness is dependent purely on the manipulation of our circumstances. I've heard someone say that happiness is connected to happenstance. In other words, we're only happy when that which is circumstantial is all aligned. You see, happiness is not something you can control, is it? Happiness falls when someone backs into your car in a car park that you had nothing to do with. Happiness falls when you get sick or someone in your family member gets sick. Happiness falls when there's a financial crisis or a bill that you didn't see coming. You see, happiness can be connected to happenstance. And so some of us spend our whole life trying to manipulate our circumstances so we stay happy. And even in faith, we can embrace this story of happiness as the most important thing. And God doesn't become someone to be worshipped. God becomes just a spiritual curator of my good life. When do you know that God has just become the curator of life going well for you? Is when the minute something happens, God becomes the enemy. And many of us have lived that narrative that says things aren't working out, God's not on my side, God doesn't love me, God doesn't care. Why? Because we think that God's role in our life is just to keep us happy. But God's given us a better story than that. 
A story that says this broken, messed up world will never give you true happiness. But I can give you my Holy Spirit, which is going to be a seal for eternity. And with my spirit comes a different fruit, and it's the fruit of joy. And joy and happiness are not the same things. Because the Bible tells a story that says joy can exist even in the most dire circumstances. Happiness depends on our circumstances all aligning. You see, if our story isn't founded in the better story of the scriptures, we spend our life pursuing happiness. And some of us get there, or some of us think that others get there, and then when we get to the same place, we realize getting all the stuff doesn't make us happy because there's always something we don't have. Getting the right job doesn't make us happy because there's still struggles in our job. Getting the right relationship doesn't make us happy because, you know, there's days where it's not that much fun. In the pursuit of happiness, life becomes a pursuit around manipulating circumstances. In the pursuit of happiness, truth becomes fluid because as long as it feels right, it must be okay. We're invited into a different story, a better story that isn't the pursuit of happiness, but is the experience of God's joy. The second story that can emerge if we don't have a foundation of meaning, purpose, value, and intent is a story that says, I am the center of the world. The two are linked, but this one is the one that drives consumerism, as I spoke about before. We consume what works for me. We take what we need to make my life better. We consume coffee, we consume relationships, we consume churches, we consume vocations, we consume whatever it is that we need to keep life with me at the centre and with me happy. You see, the Bible invites us to be part of a better story. Because if the best that we have the hope for is manipulating the circumstances of now, most of us are going to leave this life disappointed. Most of us are never going to arrive at the point where we can say, I made it, I experienced it, this is good as it can be. But when you discover a story that says you were created with intent, with meaning, with purpose, and with value, it invites you to live a different story. It invites you to live a better story. It invites you not just to live a self-seeking story, but an other-focused story. It doesn't invite you to live a story that's about building your kingdom, but it's a story about building God's kingdom. It invites you to be part of a story where you have a place and where you are not here just to serve the needs of a distant God, but where you're invited to be part of the family of a loving creator who put his best into you. Ephesians, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he says this, Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every, every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. In other words, God's always intent was for you to be part of his family. That was his intent for you from the beginning of time that you would find your place in his family. Uh, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. 
See, God doesn't just expect you to be someone that's just there to serve him. He's a generous God, just wants to lavish the best of what he has on you. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who are the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise and his glory. What's Paul want to say? That from the very beginning, God chose you to be part of his family. That from the very beginning, it is God himself that gives you life and purpose and meaning. From the very beginning, God gave you more value than you will ever give to yourself. And not only did he choose you to be someone filled with meaning, hope, value, and purpose, but he destined you to be part of a bigger story than the one that you can live if life is just all about what you can suck out of now. He actually has a glorious inheritance for you that will take you back to the very creation narrative itself where all good things were created and intended to be enjoyed, to be your pleasure in the presence of God, your creator himself. I invite us to live a better story. Some of us have actually wrapped our life around pursuing things that will come to nothing. If your story is wrapped around pursuing value in what you have, one day it'll all be made to dust. The Bible tells us that. That that, that you'll never actually get to the point where you're content. If that's a pursuit, is the pursuit of contentment. You'll never get there because everything shiny gets old, everything new gets broken. Everything cutting edge becomes old one day. Yeah, if the story that you're living is is the one that says, you know what, my value is found in how many people like me, follow me, you know, tick the love heart thing every time I put a post online. You'll find that it's empty and, and you might be connected, but right now you might be feeling a deep loneliness because you're pursuing value in something that will never give you value. The thing that gives you value is the very Word of God that spoke you into being and purposed you for good works from the very beginning. That is where you'll find your value in relationship with God. I encourage us. We're going to look through the biblical story this term. And we're going to all be invited to live a better story. But to do that, some of us are going to have to confront and challenge some of the stories that we've allowed to become the dominant narratives. And some of us may not have even understood or recognized or articulated some of those stories that have become the dominant narratives. But until we can articulate and identify them, we'll never be able to let go of them so we can pursue something much greater. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.